What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Turn uh, in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 16. I'll be reading verses uh, 1 through 8 of that chapter. Uh, when you found it, please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> This is the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." May God add his blessing on this, the reading of his holy and inspired word. Please be seated. The very first effect upon those who heard the first impression of the gospel, and in particular the resurrection of Christ, uh, is that they were trembling and they were astonished. They were afraid, it says. Uh, Is this our impression of the gospel and of the resurrection? Hearing that Christ has risen and the impression, the effect being that of a kind of fearful trembling and astonishment. We, uh, we're, we're used to the idea of, of the gospel having an effect of, of what is joy and comfort and peace. 
perhaps uh, a kind of uh, self-abandon that leads us to, to proclaim from the housetops to anyone who's passing by, no matter what harm to ourself, the good news that we've just heard rather than what we, what we just read of saying nothing to anyone. <laughs> that, that's the first impression that the gospel makes, that the resurrection of Christ makes upon those who heard that he was risen, that he has risen. Uh, now, this is not the whole story of, of these uh, women, their Christian experience. Uh, we know the gospel brings comfort. The gospel does bring peace and joy and certainly a, uh, a, a willingness and a readiness to speak the truth and the hope that we have to many more. Uh, it's not the first, that's not the full and entire story, but it is their first impression, the very first impression that the gospel makes upon them. It's also important to notice that, uh, that what we read here is not necessarily a pattern for the kind of first impression that the gospel would make upon us. Many of us, we can think back on hearing the gospel and understanding and grasping what this is, and having a sense of peace and of joy, of gladness. That's appropriate. Um, but what we do have here is part of the eyewitness account of the first declaration of the gospel that Christ has risen. And that eyewitness account of these women as they were there, their first impression, the first effect that it makes is that they were afraid. They trembled with astonishment. Uh, part of the point of this is that it's meant to draw our attention to what is it that they just heard? Uh, what, what is it that was just declared to them that has this kind of effect upon the first ones who hear of this reality. We're drawn to consider what was declared to them, but also, this is going to be important, also uh, to at least in some way reflect upon our own hearts and our own lives. Um, our first impression of the gospel may not be fearful trembling, and I surely hope that this is not the only experience you have of the gospel of fear and astonishment of being afraid but given at least that this is their first and the first impression that the gospel makes, this ought to have at least a place in our lives. And I'd argue a very foundational place. There's something about the truth that is declared to them that a very basic reality in hearing this and responding to it is that as we hear fear and trembling. So why this response? Well, we have to notice what are we supposed to notice about what the angel declared to them? Well, the first thing is this, that in hearing that Christ has risen, these women learn that in Christ Jesus, the resurrection has begun. Christ has risen. They learn that in Christ Jesus, the resurrection has begun, the day of the Lord has dawned upon him. 
Uh, consider how these women came. Well, they came in love and devotion, uh, seeking after Christ Jesus. We, we read last week of, uh, uh, or, or rather the week before, um, uh, of these women uh, 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 observing Jesus as he had died, and they had actually been following Jesus. We read earlier in Mark 15 that these were some of the women from Galilee who had ministered to Jesus and had followed him uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke 8 gives us a little bit more information here. Uh, Luke 8, chap, uh, verse 2, it, uh, even calls out Mary Magdalene in particular as one uh, uh, whom the Lord had healed of evil spirits and infirmity, she as well as many other women. Here are those who are recipients of the ministry of Christ Jesus, and what does it lead them to do? Well, it says that they and many others provided for them, the disciples, out of their means. Here, here is what is an extension of their following Christ Jesus and ministering to Him that carries them uh, to the very death of Christ and now to the tomb. Uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, one uh, from whom the Lord had cast out demons. She's called Mary Magdalene after her, her native city, the west shore of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Salome, another woman who's mentioned here. She, we know from Matthew 27, 56, she was the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So here a family uh, are those who are following after Christ Jesus. They, had, uh, they knew Christ. They knew the things that he had spoken. They were recipients of his ministry. And though they seek him now in love, but they're also coming grieving, right? Grieving. Because they've seen Christ Jesus die upon the cross. They've seen the place even where he was laid. And they come grieving like many of us would at the loss of someone whom we love. Notice even what happens to these women. That while they grieve, they are hindered from coming to Christ sooner. All of the gospel accounts make mention of this point, uh, that the Sabbath day comes. Right after Christ and right as or right soon after Christ is buried and put in the tomb. Many of us know very vividly this experience of being drawn to, uh, to, to care for someone whom we love and has died, perhaps even at the closing days of their life, and being hindered from coming to them, especially now. Uh, these women as well, longing uh, to come and being hindered, unable to come and render the dignity any, any sooner that they would have wanted to, coming to him. And it's interesting, they're drawn with a very personal concern. Uh, we know in John, uh, the book of John, that, uh, that Jesus was actually wrapped by, by Nicodemus, by uh, 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 spices and, and things that Nicodemus himself had provided, 75 pounds worth, I think it was, that Jesus was wrapped in. And they, they, were, they had seen Jesus laid in the tomb. They may have even seen that Christ was already wrapped with these spices, but still these women come. Why? Because you know this. Someone whom you love is not okay if someone else renders the dignity to them that you must. It's a very personal kind of draw. It's not enough that it's, done, that it's simply done, but they themselves have to come. Here they come in love. They come grieving. And they come in faith and in hope. In some measure, this is what, uh, this is what uh, any kind of concern uh, for the dead body of someone whom we love. Any kind of concern, what is that? It expresses what is a sense that, um, uh, that it's not as though someone's body is now worthless. There is, at least in some measure, a hope and a trust in the resurrection, isn't there? 
Uh, even in the Old Testament, they had these words, Genesis 4.10, the Lord himself says that the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, speaking of Abel. Um, one's death is not the end. Job 16.18, Job himself saying, O earth, cover not my blood, and let my cry find no resting place. What is this cry? A cry that it would reach the ears of the Lord, and he would respond to giving life. Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. These women have this hope for themselves and so also would have had the same hope and trust for Christ Jesus. John 11, 24, we even hear of, in particular, uh, the sister of Lazarus saying that I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Uh, There's a hope in the resurrection, but what they didn't expect is that the resurrection would have begun in him. What a glorious thing, the things that they have prepared, that they bring, the dignity they want to render unto him is beside the point. Christ has risen. And so when the Lord removes, God himself removes the insurmountable obstacle from their path, the stone is removed It's not so they can accomplish the things that they set out to do, but they might see and have declared to them the glorious things that God has done. So also with our own lives. It's the Lord's purpose in our life, not simply to fulfill your purposes, but that you might see and behold what God has done. We might see what he's done here, that Christ has risen. In him, the resurrection has begun. There's a kind of shift that takes place here for these women. It's the first dawning of this. They're starting to come in the sort of clarity that's going to grip the church at this point, that that which they have longed for, that which we also long for, in hoping and waiting for the resurrection, the resurrection of God's people into glory, suddenly that is beginning to move not only from the realm of faith, but into something that is the object of faith. Sorry, not only in the realm of hope, but as an object of faith now. They see it as something that has come, that has happened. Um, In Christ Jesus, the resurrection has begun, that which we've waited for. It has begun in him. They're starting to see now that the center of gravity, as it were, of the, of the people of God and what it means to stand and to wait is not only what is waiting and hoping for what is yet to come, but that which we hope for, we see in him. Able to look upon him. Uh, Romans 1.3 says that Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Many commentators note that it doesn't actually say His there. It's referring to His resurrection. But you could translate it this way. Declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. The resurrection dawns in Christ Himself raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is, uh, Paul is burdened to make sure we understand the close connection that there is between Christ's resurrection and ours. It refers to Christ. Uh, Paul refers to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. This way it says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 23, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, 
those who belong to Christ. We are not yet raised in the body. I hope you know that. (laughs) Uh, But the first fruits of that resurrection has come in Christ Jesus. So closely tied is Christ's resurrection and ours that even Paul reasons in both directions in 1 Corinthians 15. That on the basis of Christ raised from the dead, we have the assurance that we will. And then he goes the other way and says that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ was raised. If the people of God are not to be raised, then not even Christ was raised. You see, he, he moves backwards. He reasons backwards. This is the close tie. The resurrection has begun in Christ Jesus upon him. What's this mean then? Well, to the full extent that our hope hungers for what is yet to come. To the full extent that our hope hungers, what is given to us is that our faith is satisfied in Christ Jesus. To the full extent extent that our hope hungers, the full extent that we now lack resurrection, we are sustained and upheld in what has come in Christ Jesus. Uh, We we know the ways in which we lack resurrection, right? It's obvious. Our own mortality... Uh, the fact that we, that we seek things that are uh, frustrated, the fact that, that we're in the kind of turmoil that we're in in our own nation, the fact that we are, that we are open to assault and persecution, that we are tempted uh, within and without, that we deal with the continuing indwelling sin, all of these things make it painfully obvious at times that we lack resurrection. We are still waiting and hoping. And what is able to sustain you What is taught to these women and taught to the church is that while we wait and we hope and we lack much, we are satisfied and able to be sustained in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 says that in Him, we have been, uh, that the Father has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These are the things that sustain us and are able to carry you through while we wait. We are in a dry land, not only with the hope that there will be water once we traverse the desert, but we are in a dry land and those who are given to drink deeply from the well of life that has dawned in Christ Jesus himself. This is the hope that's given to them, that that which we hope for, we are able to be strengthened and nourished for in what has come in Christ Jesus. Our eyes are upon him. Christ has risen. The resurrection has begun in him. As these women come and they learn of this marvelous thing, that the resurrection has begun. It's no surprise that they tremble, right? The resurrection, here's, here's all the associations that come with what is the judgment day of the Lord. A trembling. Here is the end that we're almost seeing the edges here. The edge is now uh, circumscribed around Christ Jesus. We see this dawn. It's like, it's like a dam. <laughs> it's like a dam uh, that if you imagine a whole wall holding back the floodgates and a single brick is dislodged. A single brick. What do you say? The rest of the wall may be there for a moment, but what do you say? The dam has broken. (laughs) 
here the resurrection has begun in Christ. And as their hope is now, is now centered in upon what, what has happened in Christ Jesus, that he himself is raised, here's the other reality that causes them to tremble, that they and we are to grapple with, that the central blessing of the resurrection is Christ himself. The central blessing of the resurrection is Christ himself. Um, notice how the, the angel speaks to them, uh, giving, certainly speaking in a manner and giving uh, what are words of, of comfort to these women as they come. They're alarmed. There's a hint of dread here. Uh, the, the word or, or distress, this is, this is even, this is a, it's a word, the, what's translated alarm is, is the same kind of thing that's, that is, is used to describe Jesus in the garden before coming to the cross. Here is a, certainly a distress and an element of dread perhaps here in coming in and seeing uh, this young man and, uh, who, who is an angel and he, he speaks to them the first word, do not be alarmed. And, and then he carries them through. It's remarkable the ways that he speaks. He doesn't, he doesn't string together these, uh, these ornate uh, logical, um, uh, logical ideas and propositions and, and sort of make them work in terms of understanding all these things. He, there are short, brief statements simply telling them the facts and even beginning with the facts that even have brought them there. He tells them what they're already doing. This is how you speak to someone who is fragile, right? Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Uh, the, the manner and tone of everything, even the fact that the angel is sitting, this is a non-threatening kind of posture. Even if perhaps a teaching one, it is still non-threatening. Uh, speaking words of comfort and counseling them. And even, what does he say? He says, see the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. And he brings up Jesus going ahead of them to Galilee. This, uh, the place where Jesus had told them that he was going to Galilee, Mark 14, he says that you will all fall away, Mark 14, 27, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And what happens next? Peter says, I will not deny you, Lord, even if I have to die. And then they all say the same. Even the reminder that Jesus is going before them to Galilee, it reminds the disciples and Peter of, of what, was their, um, uh, what was their pledge of fidelity and devotion in which they failed. Why must they be told that they might know the comfort that comes, the comfort of forgiveness, the good news that this Savior whom they have denied is still their Savior? But all these words of comfort, all of the, the good blessings that are proclaimed in the fact that Christ himself wants them to know are, I almost hesitate to say this, but almost secondary to what the angel says next. He's, he's concerned that they know where he is. It's, and, and commentators notice this. It's almost like this parenthesis. It doesn't, he doesn't say, make sure disciples and Peter know that they're forgiven. He says, oh, tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going before them to Galilee. Just moving on. 
I'm going before them to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. What preoccupies and what must preoccupy the people of God is Christ where he is. The center of your benefits in the resurrection are Christ himself. This is the center of God's, of the people of God's hope and life. The forgiveness that we have, it's great. It's remarkable that, that, the, that the deeds that we have done against the Lord and against others uh, are, do, do not require that simply they be, they be thrown out for everyone to see, that we might bear the full extent of not only the shame, but also the wrath of God. That is good news. But in hearing the comfort of forgiveness, it is not so we might simply breathe a sigh of relief. Ah, oh good. <laughs> when Peter heard, uh, probably from Mary Magdalene first, when Peter heard that Christ was not in the tomb, and, and when he had heard, in particular, that he was risen, do you think he just breathed a sigh of relief? Ah, oh good. What do we read about in the Gospels? He runs. It's not just, oh, good. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have that burden. But it's, oh, good, my Savior lives. He goes to him. See, this is the great hope of God's people. Any blessing that we have, the comfort of forgiveness that comes, the assurance that we are counted righteous by the obedience of Christ, the fact that, that the work that God has begun in us, he brings to completion that we are counted sons and heirs of God through Christ Jesus. All of these things are assurances unto you that you might come and know that you are received before him. The, the resurrection is intended for them that they might see that they might go to Christ. What's the great hope that we have? As we are forgiven by his blood, as we are made heirs of God, we are, we are assured that we can go to him. We have the free access that comes in the blood of Christ Jesus. These women, they come to the tomb, they, they are but uh, at most hours behind Jesus here. That's remarkable. Hours before Christ was raised, if, if that. They come to the tomb and, and, and they know where he is going. And if you can believe it, we have a closer access than even they had. They had to go eventually to Galilee. What do we have? Christ himself, where is he? In heaven itself. And we have the access by the Holy Spirit to cry out to him, let us go and enjoy what Christ himself has given, that we can cry out to him and he hears. That's what we're doing in gathering to worship, the great privilege we have in crying out to him. So what's left for us? Paul says in Philippians this. This is what, again, in what we ought to see as a very foundational mode of our life. Philippians 2, 12 says this, that to work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is the treasure that the people of God have that we count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord? Philippians 3.10 
Uh, we long what is, for what? We count all things as lost that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3.12 Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And our hope is this, that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. As we wait for that day in the coming of our Savior, uh, we are sustained even by him. Let's. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, And you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.